We, we received some signals both from other European countries as well as the United States that something is happening with farmers. 23.4% of farmers were considered at risk for suicide. 27% burnout rate. 49% indicate their job gives them mental distress. The main stressor that we have identified... First one was... Agricultural politics. Administration and regulation. Government policies designed to reduce climate change. Those are the voices of three researchers who've been asking themselves why mental health among European farmers appears to be getting worse. Hi, I'm Louise McHugh. My name is Liz Messali. My name is Maria Roux. I'm a professor of psychology in University College Dublin. I'm a senior researcher at the Social Sciences Unit of ILVO. We looked at a nationwide survey of the issue around mental health and acceptability of interventions for the farming community in Ireland. Then I decided to make the first study in Germany and Austria about burnout, anxiety and depression in farmers. They say one big problem they've identified is climate policy. These are the laws that are supposed to reduce emissions in the farming sector. But they say the way these laws are being enforced is actually putting farmers in impossible situations. This is Living Planet. I'm Kathleen Schuster. And in this episode, we're going to hear from German farmers about their experiences with climate policy and mental health. And we'll also hear more from those researchers a bit later on about what else they found out about European farmers. The first stop is an organic farm just south of our studio in Bonn. It's run by a man named Sebastian Luma. And when I asked him how climate policy is affecting him, he told me to hop in the car because he wanted to show me a 200-ton pile of manure. You'll understand why in a minute. It's a farm car. It's always dirty. Oh, it looks like my spare parts came. Monday, I'm receiving new chickens for one of my stables. Uh, how many? In this stable, we have... 650. Oh, sorry, 350. 650 in total with two stables, which is a small number of chickens now in these times. I think my grandfather had like 10 to 20 chickens. Sebastian took over the family farm back in 2018. Chickens are the moneymaker. He also raises beef cattle. Where we have been driving across right now has been the, the food for the cows. I would not like to do it in this way, in this dirty way on the field, but I cannot afford... Sebastian says he'd like to build another place to store the cow's food, but tighter rules would mean stricter building codes, and in the end, paying even more money. For, for the number of cows I have right now, it would be about 100 to 150,000 euros just to feed some cows, which bring me, like... All in all, the whole year, like, zero euros. If, if, we, if we add the time I spend on that, if I would pay me for the work I do with the cows, I would, it just wouldn't work. Just because he I, says I, raising cows doesn't make a lot of financial sense for him, but without them, he has no manure for his fields. The manure has also become a headache, though. Over the past few years, regulations for fertilizers have gotten stricter. 
To meet EU targets, member states need to reduce fertilizer use by 20% by the end of the decade. That's because nitrogen-based fertilizers cause about 5% of global greenhouse gases and can also pollute the groundwater. Sebastian says the regulations don't completely make sense, though. That's... that's all <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, what are we looking at here? Yeah, we are looking at the manure from the past eight weeks. The, this is manure from eight weeks. Eight weeks, since uh, the beginning of December. It's about 150 to 200 tons. The problem is not the, the manure itself. It's like the, the most sustainable uh, fertilizer we have. Um, Essentially, uh, stricter rules on fertilizers have meant farmers can't put manure down on the fields from December to mid-January. The reason being, for one, the soil can't immediately absorb the nutrients if the ground is frozen. That can lead to nutrients being washed away. Worst case scenario, the runoff pollutes lower-lying areas or a water source. So we have to wait until the ground is not frozen, but if the ground is no more frozen, it's usually that wet that we cannot drive on that. Sebastian says this is a problem. For one, driving over frozen ground is better because it prevents compressing the soil too much and damaging it and its ecosystem. Another problem is this rule shortens the window of time to fertilize even more than shifting weather patterns already have, and that can mean lower crop yields. Is there any other way to to do this that satisfies both groups? I think (laughs) take down those regulations. (laughs) Take down the regulations is what you'll hear from a lot of farmers here in Europe. That's not to say Sebastian is against climate policy. He isn't. He's on the front lines of climate change just like all the other farmers. But his farm has already been hit by drought three times since he took over. And he says the seasons have become so unpredictable that he can't plan the way his father and grandfather used to. He says his grandfather was able to buy a tractor from one good harvest. Nowadays, Sebastian could have 10 good harvests, and that still wouldn't bring in enough money for a new tractor, not even taking into account the beef and eggs he sells. And incidentally, it's where these two problems meet, a lack of predictability and what farmers see as overregulation that's thrown many of them into a tailspin. One person who's been researching this is a woman named Lise Messely. She's a senior researcher at a Belgian organization called ILVO, which stands for Institut voor Landbouw, Visserij en Voedingsonderzoek. And which, mercifully, translates in English to the Flanders Research Institute for Agriculture, Fisheries and Food. The main stressor that we have identified is related to administration and regulation. The, the fact that it changes a lot. Uh, that there are different regulations from Europe, but also from the Belgian government related to food security, from the Flemish government related to water quality, um, a lot of different topics and all these regulations land at the the farm level and the farmer has to deal with it and uh, comply with a lot of uh, regulations and administrations. That's a a very big uh, stress factor for farmers in Flanders. Her team was one of several looking at this problem in an EU-backed group called FarmWell. They started researching the mental health of farmers, specifically in Flanders, which is the Flemish-speaking region of northern Belgium. Nearly half of the land there is used for farming. 
They surveyed more than 600 farmers and did focus groups with about 90 of them between 2018 and 2021. They found almost half the farmers were suffering from mental distress. We, we heard the uh, reasons like, um, yeah, in our family, we don't talk about problems. Uh, our problems, it's our own responsibility. We don't need other people to, to handle it or to solve it. We will do it ourselves. Um, on another level, more on the sector, the farming sector level, there we see that there is this macho culture is a bit how we have called it. Um, you don't share your problems with your colleagues. Um, some uh, farmers also indicate that your colleagues are also your com competitors. So if they know that you're in trouble, then your position is, is getting weaker. Um, but for sure, there's also this taboo that uh, to talk about your feelings and, and, and mental issues, it's very difficult. Even within farming organizations, um, for a long time, it has been um, not talked about or it was a topic for the women. But farming has always been a tough job that involves hard labor and financial uncertainty. So why are mental health problems on the rise? Lise says she and her team noticed the farmers they spoke with had a particular vulnerability. They didn't know how to talk about their problems. Interestingly, another woman named Maria Roth, who was also researching this topic over in Austria around the same time, can attest to this. She's from a family of dairy farmers in Bavaria, and when she was getting her master's in psychology, she happened to get into a conversation with her brother, a farmer, that would change everything for her. I was in the car with my brother, and we were just chatting, and um, then he told me that he read in a uh, farming newspaper about the very high suicide rates in farmers, and he asked me if I could explain him why these rates are so high, because I'm a psychologist. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hmm, I don't know, I never heard of that. And he was a bit, I don't know, he just wondered, how can it be that you've been studying psychology for five years and never heard of this? And I also wondered. It turns out one of the reasons she'd never really heard about this was because there didn't appear to be any literature on farms and mental health or suicide rates published in Germany or Austria, only literature from other countries. So she decided to make it the topic of her master's thesis. She wanted to find out how common burnout, anxiety, and depression were among these farmers. In the beginning, I was very, uh, well, I was not really sure if I would be able to find 400 farmers. And I asked every farmer I know to participate and I posted the link to the study on my, or to the survey on my personal Facebook page. And then it went kind of viral because in the end um, I got around 4,000 participants. It was like 3,860 3, or something. She found that more than a quarter of the people she surveyed were suffering from burnout. That's twice the rate seen in the general population. I live in a very rural um, environment where everybody knows everything. Um, and I personally know farmers who are really struggling. Um, and so that is a new 
but um, I kind of see it through different eyes now because earlier I had more like the impression, okay, it's just this person who is struggling because it's this person. And now I think, okay, it's this person who's struggling, but maybe um, 50% of the cause of this is the job she's doing. And if she was doing a different job, she wouldn't struggle. Um, so it's now more linked to the fact of being a farmer. Maria is in the process of becoming a therapist and might end up specializing in therapy for farmers, but there isn't exactly a track for that in Germany at the moment. Lise Messeli from Ilvo, who we heard from a bit earlier, is also working to expand the resources available both in terms of training therapists and getting the word out to farmers. The Flemish Departments of Agriculture and Public Health and Family Welfare are working on this. One credential that's absolutely necessary, she says, is a therapist needs to understand farming. It's all about trust and feeling understood. Understanding things like how farmers usually can't take a sick day, much less go out with friends or take a vacation. I wanted to talk to one of these therapists to get some insights, but they were difficult to track down. I did, however, find a man named Jürgen Donhauser, about an hour east of Nuremberg, who's a farmer and a deacon. And even though he knew the hardships of farming life before he took on a pastoral role a few years ago, he says he's been shocked by what people began telling him. I hear things like, Jürgen, if I don't drink half a bottle of Jägermeister in the evening, then I can't go to bed because I can't shut off my brain. I just lay there awake, my thoughts swirling. I'm afraid I'll lose everything. And then he can sleep a bit, but it's not a deep sleep because of the alcohol. Then there are other stories like, Jürgen, if it all comes to an end, then I'll hang myself on the next tree. And that's, of course, a more extreme case. And this is naturally schon extreme then. He agrees that talking through these problems is vital and that often a therapist is necessary. He sees other reasons, though, why farmers are having so much trouble coping. Some of these farms have been around for 10, 12, 15 generations. So knowing that someone once started this farm and for the past 15 generations, each generation managed to keep things running. And now he's the one who's going to have to shut it down for good because it's no longer working. The pressure these people are facing is brutal. Belastung, Druck, die man sich aussetzt. He knows this from his own family. His grandfather started the farm, and Jürgen handed it down to his oldest son a few years ago. They mainly raised pigs, and it was around the time he handed the farm down that they needed to invest roughly 250,000 euros to update their pig pen to meet new animal protection guidelines. Before the law passed, there were different numbers floating around about how big the stalls for pregnant sows needed to be, and they were advised to plan for six square meters to be on the safe side. But once the law passed, it actually required 6.5 square meters of space. Now they have until April to submit their plans for changes, and his son doesn't know if it's worth the investment. 
His second oldest son has already thrown in the towel. The first reason is the inability to plan. Today, if I build a stall according to animal protection guidelines that cost between 250 and 300,000 euros, I can't count on using it long enough to pay it off. What young person would be ready to invest? The trust is simply gone, and that's why no one is investing right now. Jürgen says this is just one in a long line of changes over the past 20 years that's made it hard on them to keep up financially and emotionally. He says people aren't willing to pay fair prices, costs are rising, and updates are nearly impossible to afford. Of course it affects me. And I feel even worse for my father, who's 87. He's from the generation that was told after the war, we don't want any more wars, we don't want any more starvation. Farmers, give it your all so we no longer have to go hungry. And he did everything he could to run his farm that way. He doesn't understand any of this. Instead of thanks and respect for what farmers have done for us and what they still do for us. But instead of a pat on the shoulder and admiration, or at least recognition, we are constantly being criticized and it's exhausting. Who wants to be called an insect killer, a well poisoner, an animal torturer? Of course that affects a person. That last point Jürgen Donhauser made about feeling like farmers are portrayed as killing nature is one that echoes throughout the studies carried out by Lise Messerly and Maria Roth. It's true that bad news about the environment has made headlines in recent years. For example, that the agricultural sector causes 10% of the EU's greenhouse gases, which is only slightly lower than the worldwide average. Or that pesticides that help maintain crop stability are driving a disastrous loss of biodiversity. The farmers I spoke with were quick to point out that what gets lost in this message is the role of the farmer as a steward of the land, as people who are so passionate about their jobs that some even take on outside work to keep running family farms that don't bring in any money. They also say coverage about recent protests over subsidy cuts misses the point. The cuts are just the straw that broke the camel's back. Professor Louise McHugh teaches psychology at University College of Dublin and co-led a nationwide survey of over 250 Irish farmers and also carried out focus groups with funding from the National Organization for Suicide Prevention. She said the negative coverage is also being felt by Irish farmers. When we interviewed uh, the farmers uh, individually and tried to drill into this further, um, what was coming out is that they feel that they have been scapegoated in terms of being a headline as if they are causing the climate crisis disproportionately beyond what their role is and that they're all very interested or that they're certainly interested in engaging in innovative practices uh, around climate change, but that if the policies that have been introduced don't include their voice and aren't realistic or sensible in terms of practicalities on the ground, that that just isn't uh, workable. She says they're now receiving funding from Ireland's Department of Agriculture to find a scalable response. So I think, you know, definitely there is a, an increasing acknowledgement among policymakers that um, the uh, farming community have been particularly squeezed on this issue around climate change 
in a way that you know we need to manage that um as it is a time when all of us are going to need to change our practices around climate change um but the farming community might be one of the first groups to have really bumped against this and so we need to we need to mind them uh, and we need to be considered and we need to consider mental health and all the changes that all of us are going to have to face in the coming years around a very changing world. One place they've already started, and incidentally, the way she got involved in this research, is by offering modules on mental health to students studying agricultural science. She says the idea came from the students who saw what their families were going through on the farm. Beyond mental health support, there also seems to be a need for civil discourse about these problems. Here in Germany, a young woman named Franziska Auma, who knows Jürgen Donhauser from her time with the Bavarian Farmers Association, started an information campaign for farmers along with two other young women. They call themselves Akashwestern, which translates roughly to farm sisters. They started their website back during the last German elections in 2021. She says they wanted to counter the influence from politicians with extreme views who were trying to profit off the farmers' desperation. The three young women just want to get fact-based information to farmers and encourage dialogue. It's been a tough road, though. Since their founding, each of them has known a farmer who's taken his own life. In my case, it was a young guy. He was 25 years old. I met him through the volunteer work in the agriculture sector, and he was really active. He was full of life. He fought for his farm for years, and in the end he couldn't cope when it turned out it was all in vain because he was Dutch and they stripped him of his permit. And he made his decision the same day he got the news. Francisca says her friend, who was Dutch, had lost his farm like many other farmers in the Netherlands in the wake of stricter regulations on nitrogen emissions. The Dutch government is currently buying out farms to the tune of 1.5 billion euros. Roughly 3,000 farmers are expected to be eligible for these buyouts. Unfortunately, like with other cases of suicide, in the end, it's not always possible to know the exact reason behind the death. And in this case, I only have Francisca's account of the story. But what's been striking about the research conducted by Lise Messely, Maria Roth, and Louise McHugh is how high the stress levels are among farmers right now. In Ireland, Louise McHugh said over 20% of the farmers they surveyed had suicidal thoughts over the past two weeks. They also found that nearly 40% of farmers were experiencing moderate to extremely severe stress, which is associated with a higher risk of suicide. A sign of hope, though, is that all of the researchers found that the overwhelming response from farmers was positive when they were given the chance to talk. Here's Lise Messily again. That was really something that um, we didn't expect, actually. When we started uh, announcing our research on stress and well-being, people who are very um, familiar with farming sectors said, you will never find somebody who will want to talk about it. Not even in personal, in an individual talk, but in group discussions, it will not be possible. But um, we actually found the the contrary. Even in, in groups that were only male, some 
quite personal stuff was was shared. There there was a farmer who had just lost his father and he was still struggling how to to cope with it and also how to continue with the farm. And then during that talk, another farmer shared his story, also having lost his father at a young age and recognizing the same difficulties and sharing how he has dealt with it. Um, And there was room for emotions and for very um, sensitive topics as well. And we finished every focus group discussion with a a last tour of the table, asking what what did you think about it? What do you take home? And a lot of times we heard it was so good to be able to, to talk about this, to share with my colleagues what is going on and to realize I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I want to turn back to Francisca again very briefly. What's interesting about her story is that she actually doesn't have to farm. She's from a farming family, but she had originally completed her formal training in computers and electronics and then decided her passion was farming after all. She's just about to finish her training, but after telling me about all of the hardships farmers face right now, why is she going through with it? Giving up is not an option. Farmers still exist in Germany, and I hope that politicians and society will appreciate us and that they'll offer us support so that our profession has a future and so that it doesn't break people. We farmers work in and together with nature. It doesn't matter which region we live and work in, we can already feel the effects of climate change. Of course we have interest in genuine climate protection, in climate protection that leads to measures you can see and feel, but we also know, because we work in the cycles of nature every day, that these types of changes take time. We think in cycles, we follow nature's lead, and this kind of change can't be forced. We'll be right back. Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. No, this isn't a podcast about milk. If you like historical intrigue, a bit of culture, and a sprinkling of controversy, this one's for you. I'm Rachel Stewart, and I'm traveling around Europe, following the hidden history of everyday things as they're exported through time and around the world, by force, by chance, or by choice. No need to pack your bags. Just subscribe to Don't Drink the Milk wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of Living Planet was produced by me, Kathleen Schuster, and edited by Neil King. Our sound engineers were Gad Georgi and Ziad Abu Sleiman. Sebastian Luma, the farmer at the beginning of the episode, showed us around his farm in Niederbachem, which is just south of Bonn. Lise Messeli of Ilvo spoke to us from outside Ghent, Belgium. Maria Roth, Franziska Oma, and Jürgen Donhauser all spoke to us from their homes in Bavaria. And Louise McHugh spoke to us from Dublin. 
To download this and past episodes of Living Planet, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to hit subscribe. We're also available on DW's website, www.dw.com. You can also find this and other great podcasts on our YouTube channel, DW Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Living Planet is produced by DW in Bonn, Germany.